Welcome back to another episode of People of Product. My name is George Brooks, and on today's episode, I get a chance to talk to Ryan Glasgow. Ryan is the founder and CEO of Sprig, and at Sprig, they know the best product experiences are built when you learn from the right users, at the right time, and in the right place. Sprig makes it easy for teams to capture the insights they need to make experiences that matter. Now, Sprig has an incredible customer list. Companies like Notion, Cash App, Robinhood, Loom, Dropbox, Ramp, Figma, and Coinbase, some top players. And they're, and they're backed by uh, investors like Andreessen Horowitz and Excel. So they're doing something right. Now, Ryan took his experience when he was at Weebly as a product manager that got acquired by Square. And in a moment of uh, change, he took an opportunity to build a small, simple tool, a tool that captures feedback very easily from the user at the event, at the moment that they wanted that feedback, the moment that they really could learn. And then he took that as he left Weebly and saw an opportunity to turn that into a company, a company that is scaling like a rocket ship and really exciting to see his passion for not only people, but the user and building great products that uh, are built by great product teams. So I think you're going to love this conversation. Let's get right into it. Ryan, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Thank you so much for being here. I'm excited to get a chance to talk to you, but not everybody maybe knows uh, who you are and all the incredible things you've done. So I'm going to throw it straight to you. Why don't you give the audience just a real quick overview of who Ryan is? Awesome. I'm excited to be here and share a little bit more about my background and experience in the product management space and also about building Sprig for other product teams. My background's always been in product management. And so since the very beginning of my career, even since I was a kid, was always building websites and, you know, thinking about the design and, and how to put together the products and the applications. And, you know, after college, I had always worked at really early stage startups and was fortunate to be working at five different companies that were, you know, went on to be acquired. And what I saw through those experiences was just how important it was to understand the customer. And if I could deeply understand that user and that customer problem, it made it so much easier to build a solution that really hit the mark. And so after those experiences, I decided to found a company. And so I started uh, Sprig. And what we do is we help other product teams improve their own experiences by understanding their customers. So very meta takes a lot of my experience of my career and really you know, transforms it into a easy to use platform for other product teams. And so started the company just over four years ago. We launched about just over two years ago. And we're now working with many of the fastest growing companies, including Notion, Loom, Dropbox, Square, Coinbase, Robinhood, Ramp, just to name a few. And so it's been great to learn from them as well, but also be a small part of their journey and their successes over the past few years. I mean, that's an incredible start. What a, what a lineup of both clients, but also I loved your language talking about you know, building a, a product that is focused on the customer, focused on that user. Tell, tell me a little bit about your journey coming up through product management. What does that mean when you say you're focused on that customer, when you're really focused on that end user, what does that look like? For a lot of folks, they have the, you know, you realize they have the cursory understanding of what the problem is for the customer, or maybe they've only spoken to a few folks and looking to validate an intuition they already have. And I think as you know, the beginning of my career, that was always the very difficult trap to fall into is you want to do something 
and you might talk to a few folks and you hear what you want to hear. And you're like, okay, I understand what the customer wants. They're saying exactly what I already know. I'm going to go ahead and do this. But understanding the customer to me is very much like a one-on-one. And so with a really good one-on-one, if you're you know, someone who can really probe into a direct report, you know, and ask those really tough questions. And I think very much with understanding your customer, it's very similar is that you want to ask those really tough questions. And one that has been popularized over the past, you know, five years is that product market fit question. How disappointed would you be if you could no longer use this product? And that's a one, a common one I see a lot of teams are afraid to ask, but it's one of those really critical questions to make sure that you really are building something and have built something that is truly solving a, a burning problem that people have and a solution that's truly differentiated in the space. And so questions like that are, you know, really interesting to really kind of dig in and deeply understand what the customer is thinking and not be afraid or shy to ask those softball questions that might just validate perhaps existing intuitions. I think it's fascinating that you find a lot of folks, they feel like it's almost too obvious sometimes like, no, you know, we should just, uh, let's just assume we know that, right. You know, like that's table stakes. We already know what they think, but you, it led you to build a product that literally does that. Um, so tell us a little bit more about Sprig and how, you, how you got into deciding to do that, because what you're talking about is the tool that you built too. Exactly. And it's, it's very meta and it's just, you know, again, really fun to work in this space. And so I, before Sprig, I was the first product manager at Weebly, the very popular website drag and drop builder that was acquired by Square. And we were uh, in this hyper growth mode and we decided to bring our popular uh, drag and drop website builder onto an iPhone. And uh, the team had worked on this product for about 18 months. Uh, We had a big press launch and very popular mainstream press, CNET, PC Mag, TechCrunch, uh, Time Magazine, you know, everyone was really picking up uh, the first time you can build a drag and drop website on a phone. And the challenge though with building a drag and drop website is that there are so many permutations of different, you know, a button before a text and a text before a button and text next to a button. There's so many permutations, we, there is impossible to test everything that you could build a website. And so we launched it, we got an amazing press coverage and it's something that's considered very innovative, but we could only test a small number of what people could do. And so we were just flooded with customer complaints and issues. And I remember the CEO every night, you know, kind of slacking me, hey, like one star, you gotta get this fixed. And so I built an in-product survey uh, custom with our engineers. I said, we gotta figure out what are all the issues with this mobile app. And we got to quantify all these. I've got to fix these as soon as possible because we're all under the gun right now. We're getting all this press, we're getting all this traffic, everyone's trying it out. And so we installed this in-product survey and it said, hey, how do you like our iPhone app? And if they gave a good star, it said, great, can you leave a positive review? And if it said, uh, you know, one, two, three out of five, you know, not so great. We were asking, what could we do to make it a five-star experience? And we connected to a spreadsheet and the engineers and myself we got hundreds of uh, suggestions and ideas per day. And so I was quantifying and I was grouping everything. And the team in you know about six weeks turned it around from a one star to a four and a half star app. And we're celebrating internally and ended up being a big success once we kind of got through, you know, identified those top issues people were facing, quantified those, made sure the team was working on exactly the right issues 
and doing you know new app updates every one or two days. And so it really gave me the power of understanding in context feedback and getting really in the moment for what people are thinking and how powerful that could be. And so when I left Weebly and you know took some time off and thought about what I wanted to do next, realized that what if I could make this that same experience, that magic moment that I had as a product manager, and really bring that to everyone else who's also building products and services and give them that same level of insight that they need to also build successful award-winning product experiences. What I love about that is it it was so simple. Like it was just as, as simple as saying, hey, devs, like let's just make a thing that captures some questions. Now, did you in the early versions of that, like let's go back to that that Weebly example example. Did you was it open-ended? Did you structure the questions? Did was it normalized? How were you thinking about collecting the information that would get you the best um, results that you can make decisions from it? We did, and we actually do this for most of our templates today at Sprague, is we found a two-question survey has the highest response rate. And if you start with a very short uh, five-point scale to just kind of soft, you know, kind of start a conversation with someone, hey, how's this experience? One to five, very low effort. It slides up, you know, after a certain action. So when they first published their website and closed the editor, we had a pop-up right there. And so realize that you really want to capture that feedback after someone completes a flow. And so all of our templates are really designed to do that in Sprig. And at Weebly, you close that editor, it slid right up uh, over that home screen, and we had that five-point scale. And that's where we did that routing. The positive went to the open-ended. The lower uh, rating went to also the open-ended, but they had different questions. And so the people that had a great experience, we asked, what could you make it better? And then asked them to give us that, that rating. But the people that gave the negative experience, we said, what could we make it better? But we didn't ask them to give us that App Store rating so we could increase that App Store review. Um, and so we found that after a flow, you know, completing that flow, you get through it. You don't want to be interrupted as a user when you're doing something. Uh, so right. you complete that flow, very simple you know, three to five point scale, very easy to engage with. And then after understand those gaps to make it that perfect 10 out of 10, or as Airbnb calls it 11 out of 10 experience that you're really striving for. And that's, what's really powerful within product surveys is that you hear exactly from your, your users after they're completing very specific flows, exactly what you and the rest of your team can do to deliver those experiences. Okay, so you you left Weebly to and then had this, you know, some time away and then this aha of that simple solution could be a really successful at least idea, maybe a successful company. What was it like shaping a team around that? What was it like to bring together some folks to say not only it was one thing to build it custom into the app that we were building at this company, but now you're having to think about this at a different scale and a different platform and a different approach and both the sales engineering side and now that, you know, the MRR of it. I mean, like, how did this come together into actually shaping uh, what is Sprig today? Yeah. And at the time it was very much day by day, week by week, month by month. I think in hindsight, it looked, everything looked logical and this, the narrative sounds great. But at the time I just remember, you know, just, just focusing on getting, you know, to that next step that was right in front of me and really taking it one step at a time. 
And there were two really unconventional things about the founding story of Sprig. The first one was the first person that joined me was a PhD expert level data scientist. And so as a product manager brought on a data scientist to really solve the analysis of that data um, mm. at scale. And so that was one really interesting thing. The second thing that was really unconventional is that when I was at Weebly, I saw a lot of products out there for maybe in-product surveys or maybe for um, you know lightweight surveys you can share like Typeform. Mm -hmm. And I saw that all the solutions were built for companies that had small user bases. And so tools like Typeform and yeah. SurveyMonkey and some of the in-product survey platforms out there were really great if you wanted to get maybe 20 or 30 or 50 responses. You can use Google Forms, mm -hmm. you know, even that's free. But what I found at Weebly, we we're quickly scaling to 50 million accounts, is that there wasn't a solution out there for the companies that were post-product market fit. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to quickly spin up, just like I wanted to at Weebly, quickly spin up very targeted in-context, in-the-moment surveys based on user action or inaction. And not only collect that data in a very scalable way, but also the ability to analyze that data in a scalable way. And so one of the things in the job to be done, I really saw two you know, jobs to be done. One, collect very targeted data at scale where you can control everything from a dashboard. But the second one was the ability to analyze that data at scale. And so I knew the first part could be solved. Uh, we had to build our own event-based architecture and you know, it was very difficult, but I knew that it was something that could be solved. But the piece that had not been solved, you know, in the broader survey space or even in the broader field of technology was recreating the motion of an expert user researcher of grouping the responses that you're getting, the open text responses into themes, even if there's no overlapping words or phrases. And so sign up and registration. Everyone at the time was using word clouds yeah. and they were doing yeah. very literal string matching, even the largest, you know, $10 billion survey companies in the space and knew how powerful it would be if we could figure out, you say, sign up, I just, I say registration hmm. and to group those into the same theme. And so Kevin, our head of AI joined me in Sprig's earliest days. And that was the problem that he was focused on from day one. Uh, and so we actually got a very early start in AI and I knew it was such a difficult problem, but also if we could solve this, it would be so, so compelling and really a killer feature for us at Sprig. And so we were working on that for about four years. Um, and so I was very focused on the data collection and working with, you know, quickly brought on engineers to build a data collection, work with those early customers, where in parallel, Kevin was always working on that AI and that text analysis that's been really uh, one of our critical features for bringing on some of the larger companies that we work with. Okay, so you're not only you've not only built a event engine that allows you to collect at scale, you know, segmenting the users that you'd want to get different types of prompts or questions for you're then segmenting those users based off the rate, the rating they gave you so that you get the right questions, but then you're taking those answers to those questions and you're actually giving meaningful analysis back to your customer, the, the, the app owner, if you will, Okay. My, I, I didn't know about the last stage as much. So that's, that's super exciting. So you were early in that conversation around being able to use uh, AI at least to make better decisions. Yes. We, we are very early for what is where we're at now yeah. in the field of AI and we're using open source models. We were taking training data externally. We were trying different ways to train the model. 
Uh, we even had to a point where we're looking to get more survey data to train the model. We're even trying creating synthetic survey response data where oh, researchers yeah. are typing survey responses and then categorizing them. So it was at a time where startups and I think most companies hadn't really scaled AI in a production setting. Yeah. And it was very much a human loop process where you have people behind the scenes, you know, doing some aspect of the work that's required. And so I remember at the time, a lot of startups were, there was like some excitement about AI, but we also kind of saw this trough of mm -hmm. sorrow oh, where yeah. a lot of startups that were doing just AI were shutting down. They couldn't make the, they couldn't make it work at scale. Uh, and so I remember at the time it was less certain that we'd get to where we are today in the field of AI, that you can actually scale some right. of these techniques. Right. Um, and we, I think we scaled just enough. Uh, on our efficacy with our models and Kevin stayed just ahead where we're able to do it in a cost efficient manner. Uh, but it was definitely a very early frontiers of working with AI and something that, you know, is, a, will always be a good story over drinks. I mean, the right time, right place. And you just don't know, you don't know that it's going to, it's going to barrel roll the way that it has, of course, in the last you yeah. know year, year, 18 months, if you will. I'm curious though, what, what did the team look like when you were, when you were first brought together, those folks, it, what was into, I thought that was fascinating that you brought on this data scientist first. Then you talked about the fact that you kind of divided in some ways to say, I'm going to focus in on this data collection side. We're going to make sure that we can integrate into any platform at scale, which now you can say that you have the clients that to prove that's possible and true, but also on the AI and analysis side, what did the team structure look like? I mean, you have this background in product management. You got a chance to build your own like dream product managed setup, what does it look like? Also a little bit unconventional uh, when we think about the team makeup. You know, we did have the the, the very expert level uh, PhD data scientist. Uh, we brought on the full stack engineer, you know, two backend in engineers for the scalability and building the event-based architecture. But the other piece that we also brought on was a expert user researcher. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she had been, um, a member of the Yale School of Management, uh, studying the field of survey design and analysis. And what we wanted to do was actually incorporate her best practices into Sprig. And so she was actually the fourth person uh, to join the company. So also very early to have a user researcher and very unconventional, but she really helped us establish credibility in the space yeah. with some of the high growth and at scale companies that we brought on as some of our first customers. And so Square was one of our first customers um, and really working with their research team and they're really one of our pilot customers, but also some other early customers we brought on um, that, you know, that were a little bit more known uh, were Robinhood and Coinbase. And so working with their research teams as well and really sharing the vision of how we want to build an at scale uh, in product um, you know, survey collection and analysis platform. And so we had to bring on that Alice and our uh, researcher to really establish that trust, establish that credibility so they can re feel really seen and heard. And that we, knowing that we are incorporating a lot of Alison's expertise right into our product. So, but you, I mean, the, the byproduct of that was not only product, but also sales, right? So this was, yes, you built this team that they would have paid good money to hire as consultants or as an in-house in team, but you're saying, no, 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 not only are we going to do this for you, we're going to do this at scale and we're going to take what we're learning from everybody else and apply it to you. 
I mean, this is like, this is, this is four people at this point. It's still small. I mean, it's, it's a relatively small team. What was something, cause now you have a PhD, you've got this, this Yale, uh, researcher. What's, what is an aha that you had at that moment where you thought I would have never known, I would have never seen it. Had we not had these folks here, was there an aha moment in the early days? I think the early aha was how unmet, how, you know, big of a pain this yeah. was for these larger companies. Yeah, and I think like the problem would the have ones... already maybe been solved. Yes. Right. Yeah. And we actually, the early folks that really bought into the vision had already come from specifically Google and Facebook mm. who had built all this in house. Of course. And so both those companies had built and you might've used Google docs or Google search and you see an in product survey and, you know, they have their own mechanism to collect and analyze the data. But when they left those companies, they looked for how can I bring this to the company I'm at now? And so we actually noticed a trend of folks from Facebook and Google that said, this was so critical to the work we were doing at my past company, but there's no solution that works for someone at the scale that we're operating at. Right. And so Sprig is really, that's really where we focus our efforts um, on the companies that are quickly growing and already at scale to bring them the level of sophistication and tools they're looking for. So I think that was a really, odd, you know, kind of an early aha moment is seeing companies that were a, an early stage startup might not typically get to work with, but seeing them really grab on what you're doing. And first, the initial kind of aha was how much time they're willing to spend with us. Yeah. So come on down to our office in Menlo Park, and we're going to pack a room for you to show you know, our leaders and our executive team, what you're building and, and really, you know, get this in front of them. And it was a lot of, you know, early conversations around, let's bring you in, let's get you involved. Let's look at the designs together. And I think that's a really key indicator for selling to businesses. If they're willing to spend their time with you, mm. which as you know, is incredibly valuable. Um, they'll, it often is a good leading indicator. They're also willing to spend their money, the business's money as well. Um, and so I think that early aha was just their commitment to partnering with us and really helping shape that product experience. Um, and then ultimately committing to that contract. Um, but we had to make that promise that we, they would be very successful and happy with the product, but building that trust did take some time. It's, I mean, we, the name of the podcast says it a lot, but we, I joke that we're in the business of people. We just happen to design and build products, right? I mean, all this comes down to where you have to build those relationships with those early customers, those early adopters. You have to build relationships with those early team members to say, hey, shape this with me. And then ultimately you have to build relationships with your users at scale, which is effectively what your product is trying to do is to say, hey, we care about what you think. We care about making this better for you. And uh, our tool helps to do that, which is, uh, you can see that thread all the way through with the way you think. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And um, it also was very interesting how we would focus on what our customers thought, but it also noticed that many of the companies that were considered the furthest along the category leaders, the companies that, um, mm -hmm. were considered most, we would consider most successful also seemed to care more about their end customers right. than maybe someone who was not considered a category leader. We often had to convince them that this is some understanding your customers is important. Yeah. Where we saw the ones that were really taking off and really growing, the ones that, you know, we consider those apps on our phone, those websites that we use on a regular basis, 
we didn't need to tell them that's important to understand your customer, but we did really help them see that Sprig is a solution to help them get there. And so I think that dichotomy was interesting as well um, in the early days and something that I'm not sure if we'll always get there and get everyone bought in, but certainly we'll see if we can try. I mean, it sounds like it's going well, considering again, the list that you have so far. <laughs> Um, okay. So fast forward a little bit. So, you know, the, you, this is, I think you, roughly 2018, 2019 that you're building out this early team, right? Uh, okay. Something happened between that time and now, now, which happens to be, you know, a worldwide pandemic and, and a shifts in understanding and intent and focus and everything else. Tell me about the last few years. What does that look like as your team has grown out, as you've, you know, iterated on the product, as you've listened to your own users, what's that been like? Yeah. Yeah. So we, you know, started the company in, in 2019 yeah. and then we publicly launched right at the end of 2020, early 2021 and, um, right before the pandemic. And so certainly very volatile, you know, uh, landscape over, yeah. over the past yeah. two years. But the great thing is that we very early on had, were fortunate to work with some um, more well-established companies, you know, and quickly brought in companies like Dropbox and Loom. And um, over the, you know, since publicly launching and raising our Series A with Excel uh, about two, just over two years ago, have just seen so many other companies uh, really, you know, try Sprig. Uh, we always encourage people to pilot it, try it for free, and then, uh, you know, roll out Sprig usually across all of their product areas. And so, in the, you know, since publicly launching just over two years ago, it's truly been one of those uh, post-product market fit, you know, opportunities. You know, the team is keeping the servers running. Uh, we're adding more capacity, and we continue to sign on. You know, uh, some really, really exciting brands. And so, PayPal is one we're rolling Sprig out across the entire, you know, PayPal portfolio. Uh, so, Venmo, Braintree, Honey. Uh, PayPal, web, mobile, iOS, Android as well. And so since then, it's just been really this moment of bringing on marquee brands and then continuing to really expand Sprig across their product lines um, and then ultimately helping them better understand their customers and, and hit their own goals. And so it's been a fun journey in that scaling mode ever since we publicly launched. So let's step back to a little bit of the... Um... How, collecting this information. So people that are either using Sprig or other tools, but their intent is right. Their intent is, I want to hear my user. I want to, I want to know better how we can serve them better. I know how I can make the product experience better to a user. Where do people get it wrong? What's something you go, ah, it's just such a simple, if you just two degrees this way, or even one degree this way, you know, you're going to be in a different country, you know, a thousand miles out. What's something that you find that people really struggle to get right, or maybe they just get it a little bit off? We often work with a lot of companies that are going through a transformation of better understanding their user. Yeah. And it's great that, you know, they're finding us and bringing us in to help them do that. But so many of them come to us and say, I know exactly what our users are doing. We know the clicks, the time on page, mm -hmm. you know, how much money they're paying us. We know exactly what they're doing in our products. You know, we also know all the revenue data. Uh, we know exactly, you know, again, how much they're paying us, you know, whether they're going to pay us, they're going to revenue or not. But the people, you know, a lot of the companies come to us and say, I don't know what our customers think about our product, yeah. or we don't know about some of those critical questions. And they often come to us and say, I'm running net promoter score. 
mm-hmm. or course, I'm running a, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, the, the common metric in business school that everyone's taught, this is what you do. You can bring it to the boardroom. You know, the executive team can benchmark it against other companies and really helping companies realize that the NPS score is really kind of a top line metric. But to understand the full health of your user experience, you need that full balance sheet. And yeah. so yeah. we often see that NPS, and at Weebly, we were running NPS. We saw a customer run a Super Bowl, sorry, a competitor run a Super Bowl ad, and our NPS score dropped. Oh, interesting. Because people were suddenly less likely to recommend Weebly because they had heard about a competing product. And so you can imagine that the team being a little deflated and frustrated and something completely outside of our control. Yeah. Um, and so we often even see around the market volatility impacts some of our customers NPS as well. Yeah. And so one of the main things we see companies get wrong is look at a experience metric like NPS and realize that, um, and think that this is something that's entirely in their control when it's mm-hmm. really not. Mm-hmm. And so if you want the full balance sheet and you really want to understand all the different pieces that you can control, that's where you have to run, you know, and ask specific questions where someone completes an onboarding experience. How is that onboarding experience? Someone makes a trade with a product. How is that trade experience? But do it at a very, very small sample and right. you get you know, five to 10, maybe longitudinal metrics about those key moments in the product experience. And you get those follow-up open questions that we talked about to understand how each of those critical five to 10 core flows of your product could be 10 out of 10 or 11 out of 10 experiences that we're all striving for and knowing exactly what you need to do that you can control to deliver those award-winning flows and those overall award-winning product experience. And so, yeah, I, I think love- the main thing folks go, go ahead, go it. ahead. No, go, go, go. Yeah. Is you know, just to summarize is thinking that NPS will tell them everything they need to know. Yeah. Thinking that NPS is something that they can control, um, and really helping them understand that let's really dig in and really wire things up. Just like an analytics system. You don't look at just overall monthly active users. You really need to understand usage of each little feature, each little part to together look at the overall health and you can then dig in if you need to, to understand the specifics. It's, it's brilliant because it's, you know, the MPS is fine. And I think it's actually, it's a helpful tool if you don't have anything else, right? If you haven't even started there, like, yes, of course you should be asking that macro question, but inevitably you're not, no, you can't improve the tool if you don't scope it down to the moment, right? You, if you don't think about mm-hmm. where, where, where in context is this user, in this moment that they just went through what we would have journeyed out and planned out and look through a workflow uh, in our product. We might be running that in different ways against different user groups across different geographies, et cetera. But when you can scope it down to that very specific user in that specific moment, that's actually how you make these, especially these products at scale better. Cause otherwise it's, it's you're like you said, you're talking at too high of a level. Yeah. And you probably experienced MPS yourself. You know, maybe checking out of a hotel, you get that MPS question and you have to think about the overall one week stay. Right. And you have to summarize it in your head and quickly think, is it a, is it a six? Is it an eight? Is it a four? And you know, you might give a four, but do they really understand 
the cocktail that maybe was too sour or, yes. you know, the pillow wasn't fluffed. They're not going to get that level of detail that they need to then move and improve your future stay. And I've, I've seen companies try to do this scoping in the real world, but that's a whole nother product, a whole nother space. Yeah. So maybe we, maybe we talk about it that another time. Okay. So I like to end on a positive note. You've talked about it a little bit with AI or maybe the fact that you're just getting to scale with some really exciting companies or that it feels like we're in a, a moment where companies are really trying to see a little bit more life in themselves right now. What's something you're excited about as you're looking three, six, 12 months ahead, what's getting you excited for what's coming? There is a lot to, to be excited about. And, you know, I think I've never felt better about the future and, you know, I'm an optimistic person by now, but I've, I've now at the beaming, you know, 10 out of 10 optimism. And I think the first thing is really just the team, you know, over the, you know, we've shaped, I think an incredible, you know, team here at Sprig and our really incredible culture. Uh, we just won fortunes 2023 best places to work for the entire us so ranked number 30 in the us here for small and medium businesses and that was all based on you know survey results from the employees here at sprig and and so i think just working with them and building that really really strong culture that the talent density is something that folks always rave about here and i i'm a big believer in people than plan and so I'm not going to come up with a plan and then find the right people. I'm a big believer in finding the right people and come with a plan. And so, you know, next year we've got the right people and they're now coming together with that plan for 2024 and just seeing the, the ideas and where they want to take the company and, you know, each of the different departments, what they're working on and, you know, how they want to achieve our goals next year. And so big believer in having that really strong uh, team. And so that's something that I think is, you know, uh, very, very optimistic there. The second one is we're seeing our customers really start to innovate again. You know, yeah. one of our customers, Loom, yeah. just brought out some really exciting AI capabilities that are doing some automatically, you know, transcribing and summarizing and naming your Loom videos and just make it so much easier. Notion, another one of our customers, you know, a leader in the AI space for documents and wikis. And so it's really exciting to see tech companies innovate again and grow again. And you really see that excitement in the air with our customers. And we're seeing that with our revenue as well. We just came off a record quarter last year for us, our biggest quarter in company history. And this month, you've still got a week left here in September. And we've had the most pipeline in company history, even with a week left in the month. Uh, and so we're just seeing the, the interest in Sprig, the customers, you know, really uh, digging in the product, buying the product, expanding with the product and getting just incredible value. And then, you know, lastly, the investors, we're just getting a lot of in investor interest, you know, people reaching out, cold emails, you know, can we invest? Can we, you know, be a part of your journey? Uh, but the good news, we have over six years of runway. And so something that I'm really proud about, we're on track to be cash flow positive uh, next year. Wow. And so, Fantastic. yeah, I think, yeah, I think financially, you know, just the, the business is in a, a really healthy spot. And so we've, over the past 12 months, really rethought a lot of parts of our growth and really started to figure out how we can grow fast and efficiently. Mm, and something mm -hmm. that, you know, leaned into that challenge and kind of used that market moment to think about how we can rethink, you know, how we operate as a company uh, across the organization to be more efficient. And so it's really led us to actually have much uh, faster growth than we were having in the past, but also more efficient growth than we were having in the past. And so I think seeing both of those really come together 
uh, specifically in the past, you know, three to five months uh, has been really exciting. And I am very optimistic for anyone else working in tech uh, that the economy, you know, is starting to look, improve and hopefully that we start to, you know, see a nice five to seven year bull run here. And we just got out of the valley and we're now, you know, climbing up that hill of, of market economic growth. And so uh, really excited to see, you know, where the tech uh, sector goes over the next five to eight years and also Sprig as well, continue to take market share and ultimately be that number one player in the space. I mean, I'm here for it. I think that you've got everything, um, at least priority wise, it feels like you're, you're thinking about all the right thing. You started with people, you know, the potential growth that you're going to experience. Of course, market's going to only amplify any work that we've been doing now, as we start to come up on the other side of this, no matter what space you're in, what market you're in, it's only going to amplify it, which is super, super exciting. Um, First off, thank you. Thank you for doing this intentional work because not only, you know, building the really effective teams is hard. Starting a company is really hard. Nobody talks about how hard it is. It's really, really hard. Uh, but also continuing to serve your customers really well. That's really hard sometimes. And it sounds like you're leaning into all of those areas. So thank you for doing that hard work. That's That needs some recognition of, of um, your intentionality in that. So well done. Well, I want and, and to that end, I really want to roll, roll out the red carpet for you. Where can people learn more about you, your company, about Sprig? Uh, where can they find you so they can definitely go check it out and share it with their friends, not just for an NPS score, but to actually use it and make their products and their teams better? Where can they find more about you? Yeah, and we're big believers in our product. We want people to start there and explore it for themselves and find a template that resonates for them. And so whether it's NPS, maybe that's where you want to start. Maybe it's product market fit. Maybe it's something you know very specific to that new feature that you launched. And so we have a very generous free plan, sprig.com slash sign up. You can create a free account. You can check out a template that resonates with you. Very uh, 10 lines of code you add into your product and you can quickly start asking your own questions and be on your own journey to building a 10 out of 10 product experience. Awesome, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the show today, it's been great. Awesome, George. Thanks so much for having me. People of Product is brought to you by Crema, a design consultancy that helps forward-thinking leaders discover, understand, and execute on their greatest opportunities. Learn more at crema.us. Mm-hmm.